9. And the home supply. The Negroes in North America, imported as they were en masse, then steadily recruited by two centuries of the slave trade, while their race integrity was somewhat protected by social ostracism, had not been seriously modified physically by several generations of residence in a temperate land. Their changes have been chiefly cultural. The Englishman has altered only superficially in the various British colonial lands. Constant intercourse and the progress of inventions have enabled him to maintain in diverse regions approximate uniformity of physical well-being, similar social and political ideals. The changed environment modifies him in details of thought, manner, and speech, but not in fundamentals. Moreover, civilized man spreading everywhere and turning all parts of the Earth's surface to his uses, has succeeded to some extent in reducing its physical differences. The earth as modified by human action is a conspicuous fact of historical development. Irrigation, drainage, fertilization of soils, terrace agriculture, denudation of forests and forestation of prairies have all combined to diminish the contrasts between diverse environments, while the acclimatization of plants, animals and men works even more plainly to the same end of uniformity. The unity of the human race, varied only by superficial differences, reflects the unity of the spherical earth whose diversities of geographical feature nowhere depart greatly from the mean except in point of climate, differentiation due to geography, therefore, early reached its limits, for assimilation no limit can be foreseen, in view of this constant differentiation on the one hand, and assimilation on the other, the historical movement has made it difficult to trace race types to their origin, and yet this is a task in which geography must have a hand. Borrowed civilizations and purloined languages are often so many disguises which conceal the truth of ethnic relationships. A long migration to a radically different habitat, into an outskirt or detached location protected from the swamping effects of crossbreeding, results eventually in a divergence great enough to obliterate almost every cue to the ancient kinship. The long-headed Teutonic race of Northern Europe is regarded now by ethnologists as an offshoot of the long-headed brunette Mediterranean race of African origin which became bleached out under the pale suns of Scandinavian skies. The present distribution of the various Teutonic stocks is a geographical fact, their supposed cradle in the Mediterranean basin is a geographical hypothesis. The connecting links must also be geographical. They must prove the former presence of the migrating folk in the intervening territory. A dolichocephalic substratum of population, with a Negroid type of skull has in fact been traced by archaeologists all over Europe through the early and late Stone Ages. The remains of these aboriginal inhabitants are marked in France, even in sparsely tenant districts like the Auvergne Plateau, which is now occupied by the broad-headed Alpine race, and they are found to underlie, in point of time, other brachycephalic areas, like the Po Valley, Bavaria and Russia. The origin of a people can be investigated and stated only in terms of geography. The problem of origin can be solved only by tracing a people from its present habitat, through the country over which it has migrated, back to its original seat. Here are three geographical entities which can be laid down upon a map, though seldom with sharply defined boundaries. They represent three successive geographic locations, all embodying geographic conditions potent to influence the people and their movement. Hence the geographical element emerges in every investigation as to origins, whether in ethnology, history, philology, mythology or religion. The transit land, the course between start and finish, is of supreme importance. Especially is this true for religion, which is transformed by travel, 
Christianity did not conquer the world in the form in which it issued from the cramped and isolated environment of Palestine, but only after it had been remodeled in Asia Minor, Egypt, Greece and Rome, and cosmopolized in the wide contact of the Mediterranean Basin, the Roman speech and civilization, which spread through the Romance-speaking peoples of Europe, were variously diluted and alloyed before being transplanted by French, Spaniard and Portuguese to American shores, there to be further transformed, in view of the countless springs and tributaries that combine to swell the current of every historical movement. Anthropogeography looks for the origin of a people not in a narrowly defined area, but in a broad, ill-defined center of dispersion, from which many streams simultaneously and successively flow out as from a low-rimmed basin, and which has been filled from many remoter sources. Autochthonies and origines are therefore merely scientific tropes, indicating the limit beyond which the movement of people cannot be traced in the gray light of an uncertain dawn. The vaguer and more complex these movements on account of their historical remoteness, the wider their probable range. The question as to the geographical origin of the Aryan linguistic family of peoples brings us to speculative sources, more or less scientifically based, reaching from Scandinavia and Lithuania to the Hindu Kush mountains and northern Africa. The sum total of all these conjectural cradles, amounting to a large geographical area, would more nearly approximate the truth as to Aryan origins. For the study of the historical movement makes it clear that a large, highly differentiated ethnic or linguistic family presupposes a big center and a long period of dispersion, protracted wanderings, and a diversified area both for their migrations and successive settlements. The slighter the inner differences in an ethnic stock, whether in culture, language or physical traits, the smaller was their center of distribution and the more rapid their dispersal. The small initial habitat restricts the chances of variation through isolation and contrasted geographic conditions, as does also the short duration of their subsequent separation. The amazing uniformity of the Eskimo type from Bering Strait to eastern Greenland can only thus be explained, even after making allowance for the monotony of their geographic conditions and remoteness from outside influences. The distribution of the Bantu dialects over so wide a region in Central Africa and with such slight divergences presupposes narrow limits both of space and time for their origin, and a short period since their dispersal. Small centers of dispersion are generally natural districts with fixed boundaries, favored by their geographical location or natural resources or by both for the development of a relatively dense population, when this increases beyond the local limits of subsistence. There follows an emigration in point of number and duration out of all proportion to the small area whence it issues. Ancient Phoenicia, Crete, Samos, Medieval Norway, Venice, Yemen, Modern Malta, Gilbert Islands, England and Japan furnish examples. Such small favored areas, when they embody also strong political power, may get the start in the occupation of colonial lands. This gives them a permanent advantage. If their colonies are chosen with a view to settlement in congenial climates, as were those of the English, rather than the more ephemeral advantage of trade, as were those of the Dutch and Portuguese in the tropics, it seems also essential to these centers of dispersion, that, to be effective, they must command the wide choice of outlet and destination afforded by the mighty common of the sea. Only the Inca Empire in South America gives us an example of the extensive political expansion of a small mountain state. The question arises whether any single rule can as yet be formulated for identifying the original seats of existing peoples. By some ethnologists and historians such homes have been sought where the people are distributed in the largest area, 
as the Athapaskan and Algonquin Indians are assigned to a northern source, because their territories attained their greatest continuous extent in Canada, but were intermittent or attenuated farther south. The fact that colonial peoples often multiply inordinately in new lands, and there occupy a territory vastly greater than that of the mother country, points to the danger in such a generalization. Of the ten millions of Jews in the world, only a handful remain in the ancient center of dispersion in Palestine, while about eight millions are found in Poland and the contiguous territories of western Russia, Romania, Austria, Hungary and eastern Germany. Moreover, history and the German element in the Yiddish speech of the Russian Jews point to a secondary center of dispersion in the Rhine cities and Franconia, whither the Jews were drawn by the trade route up the Rhone Valley in the 3rd century. A more scientific procedure is to look for the early home of a race in the locality around which its people or family of people centers in modern times. Therefore we place the cradle of the Negro race in Africa, rather than Melanesia. Density often supplies a test, because colonial lands are generally more sparsely inhabited than the mother country, but even this conclusion fails always to apply, as in the case of Samos, which has a population vastly more dense than any section of the Grecian mainland the largest compact area including at once the greatest density of population and the greatest purity of race would more nearly indicate the center of dispersion, because purity of race is incompatible with long migrations, as we have seen, though in the native seat it may be affected by intrusive elements, when this purity of race is combined with archaic forms of language and culture, as among the Lithuanians of Aryan speech among the Baltic Swamps. It may indicate that the locality formed a segregated corner of the early center of dispersion. It seems essential to such an original seat that, whether large or small, it should be marked by some degree of isolation, as the condition for the development of specific racial characteristics. The complexity of this question of ethnic origins is typical of anthropogeographic problems, typical also in the warning which it gives against any rigidly systematic method of solution. The whole science of anthropogeography is as yet too young for hard and fast rules, and its subject matter too complex for formulas. Chapter V Geographical Location The location of a country or people is always the supreme geographical fact in its history. It outweighs every other single geographic force. All that has been said of Russia's vast area, of her steppes and tundra wastes, of her impotent seaboard on landlocked basins or ice-bound coasts, of her poverty of mountains and wealth of rivers fades into the background before her location on the border of Asia, from her defeat by the Tartar hordes in 1224 to her attack upon the Mongolian rulers of the Bosporus in 1877, and her recent struggle with Japan. Most of her wars have been waged against Asiatics. Location made her the bulwark of Central Europe against Asiatic invasion and the apostle of Western civilization to the heart of Asia. If this position on the outskirts of Europe, remote from its great centers of development, has made Russia only partially accessible to a European culture and, furthermore, has subjected her to the retarding ethnic and social influences emanating from her Asiatic neighbors, and if the rough tasks imposed by her frontier situation have hampered her progress, these are all the limitations of her geographical location, limitations which not even the advantage of her vast area has been able to outweigh. Area itself, important as an island must yield to a location, Location may mean only a single spot, and yet from this spot powerful influences may radiate. No one thinks of size when mention is made of Rome or Athens, of Jerusalem or Mecca, of Gibraltar or Port Arthur. Iceland and Greenland guided early Norse ships to the continent of America, 
as the Canaries and Antilles did those of Spain, but the location of the smaller islands in subtropical latitudes and in the course of the northeast trade winds made them determine the first permanent path across the western seas. The historical significance of many small peoples, and the historical insignificance of many big ones even to the nil point, is merely the expression of the preponderant importance of location over area. The Phoenicians, from their narrow strip of coast at the foot of Mount Lebanon, were disseminators of culture over the whole Mediterranean, hollowed out her commercial and maritime supremacy, from the 13th to the middle of the 17th century, to her exceptional position at the mouth of the Great Rhine Highway and at the southern angle of the North Sea near the entrance to the unexploited regions of the Baltic, the Iroquois tribes, located where the Mohawk Valley opened a way through the Appalachian Barrier between the Hudson River and Lake Ontario occupied both in the French wars and in the revolution a strategic position which gave them a power and importance out of all proportion to their numbers. Location often assumes a fictitious political value, due to a combination of political interests. The Turkish power owes its survival on the soil of Europe today wholly to its position on the Bosporus. Holland owes the integrity of her kingdom, and Romania that of hers, to their respective locations at the mouths of the Rhine and the Danube because the interest of Western Europe demands that these two important arteries of commerce should be held by powers too weak ever to tie them up. The same principle has guaranteed the neutrality of Switzerland, whose position puts it in control of the passes of the Central Alps from Savoy to the Tyrol, and, more recently, that of the young state of Panama, through which the Isthmian Canal is to pass. Geographical location necessarily includes the idea of the size and form of a country. Even the most general statement of the zonal and interoceanic situation of Canada, the United States, Mexico, and the Russian Empire, indicates the area and contour of their territories. This is still more conspicuously the case with naturally defined regions, such as island and peninsula countries, but location includes a complex of yet larger and more potent relations which go with mere attachment to this or that continent, or to one or another side of a continent. Every part of the world gives to its lands and its people some of its own qualities, and so again every part of this part, Arabia, India and farther India, spurs of the Asiatic landmass, have had and will always have a radically different ethnic and political history from Greece, Italy and Spain, the corresponding peninsulas of Europe, because the histories of these two groups are bound up in their respective continents. The idea of a European state has a different content from that of an Asiatic or North American or African state, it includes a different race or combination of races, different social and economic development, different political ideals, location, therefore, means climate and planned life at one end of the scale, civilization and political status at the other, this larger conception of location brings a correspondingly larger conception of environment, which affords the solution of many otherwise hopeless problems of anthropogeography. It is embodied in the law that the influences of a land upon its people spring not only from the physical features of the land itself, but also from a wide circle of lands into which it has been grouped by virtue of its location. Almost every geographical interpretation of the ancient and modern history of Greece has been inadequate, because it has failed sufficiently to emphasize the most essential factor in this history, namely, Greece's location at the threshold of the Orient. This location has given to Greek history a strong Asiatic color. It comes out in the accessibility of Greece to ancient Oriental civilization and commerce, and is conspicuous in every period from the Argonautic expedition to the achievement of independence in 1832 and the recent efforts for the liberation of Crete. 
this outpost location before the Mediterranean portals of the vast and arid plains of southwestern Asia, exposed to every tide of migration or conquest sent out by those hungry lands, had in it always an element of weakness, in comparison with the shadow of Asia, which constantly overhung the Greek people and from 1401 to 1832 enveloped them. Only secondary importance can be attributed to advantageous local conditions as factors in Greek history. It is a similar intercontinental location in the Isthmian region between the Mediterranean on the west and the ancient maritime routes of the Red Sea and Persian Gulf on the east, which gave to Phoenicia the office of middleman between the Orient and Occident, and predestined its conquest, now by the various Asiatic powers of Mesopotamia, now by the pharaohs of Egypt, now by European Greeks and Romans, now by a succession of Asiatic peoples. Till today we find it incorporated in the Asiatic-European Empire of Turkey. Proximity to Africa has closely allied Spain to the southern continent in flora, fauna, and ethnic stock. The long-headed, brunette Mediterranean race occupies the Iberian Peninsula and the Berber territory of northwest Africa. This community of race is also reflected in the political union of the two districts for long periods, first under the Carthaginians, then the Romans who secured Hispania by a victory on African soil, and finally by the Saracens. The same African note in Spanish history recurs today in Spain's interest in Morocco and the influence in Moroccan affairs yielded her by France and Germany at the Algeciras Convention in 1905, and in her ownership of Ceuta and five smaller presidios on the Moroccan coast. Compare Portugal's former ownership of Tangier, in contradistinction to continental and intercontinental location. Anthropogeography recognizes two other narrower meanings of the term, the innate mobility of the human race, due primarily to the eternal food quest and increase of numbers, leads a people to spread out over a territory till they reach the barriers which nature has set up, or meet the frontiers of other tribes and nations. Their habitat or their specific geographic location is thus defined by natural features of mountain, desert and sea, or by the neighbors whom they are unable to displace, or more often by both. A people has, therefore, a twofold location, an immediate one, based upon their actual territory, and a mediate or vicinal one, growing out of its relations to the countries nearest them. The first is a question of the land under their feet, the other, of the neighbors about them. The first or natural location embodies the complex of local geographic conditions which furnish the basis for their tribal or national existence. This basis may be a peninsula, island, archipelago, an oasis an arid steppe, a mountain system, or a fertile lowland, the stronger the vicinal location, the more dependent is the people upon the neighboring states, but the more potent the influence which it can, under certain circumstances, exert upon them, witness Germany in relation to Holland, France, Austria and Poland, the stronger the natural location, on the other hand, the more independent is the people and the more strongly marked is the national character. This is exemplified in the people of mountain lands like Switzerland, Abyssinia and Nepal, of peninsulas like Korea, Spain and Scandinavia, and of islands like England and Japan. Today we stand amazed at that strong primordial brand of the Japanese character which nothing can blur or erase. Clearly defined natural locations, in which barriers of mountains and sea draw the boundaries and guarantee some degree of isolation, tend to hold their people in a calm embrace to guard them against outside interference and infusion of foreign blood, and thus to make them develop the national genius in such direction as the local geographic conditions permit, in the unceasing movements which have made up most of the historic and prehistoric life of the human race.
in their migrations and counter-migrations, their incursions, retreats, and expansions over the face of the earth, vast and fenced areas, like the open lowlands of Russia and the grasslands of Africa, present the picture of a great thoroughfare swept by pressing throngs, other regions, more secluded, appear as quiet nooks, made for a temporary halt or a permanent rest, here some part of the passing human flow is caught as in a vessel and held till it crystallizes into a nation, these are the conspicuous areas of race characterization, the development of the various ethnic and political offspring of the Roman Empire in the naturally defined areas of Italy, the Iberian Peninsula, and France illustrates the process of national differentiation which goes on in such secluded locations. A marked influence upon this development is generally ascribed to the protection afforded by such segregated districts, but protection alone is only a negative force in the life of a people, it leaves them free to develop in their own way, but does not say what that way shall be. On the other hand, the fact that such a district embraces a certain number of geographic features, and encompasses them by obstructive boundaries, is of immense historical importance, because this restriction leads to the concentration of the national powers, to the more thorough utilization of natural advantages, both racial and geographical, and thereby to the growth of an historical individuality. Nothing robs the historical process of so much of its greatness or weakens so much its effects as its dispersion over a wide, boundless area. This was the disintegrating force which sapped the strength of the French colonies in America. The endless valleys of the St. Lawrence and the Mississippi and the alluring fur trade tempted them to an expansion that was their political and economic undoing. Russia's history illustrates the curse of a distant horizon. On the other hand, out of a restricted geographical base, with its power to concentrate and intensify the national forces, grew Rome and Greece, England and Japan, ancient Peru and the 13 colonies of America. If even the most detached and isolated of these natural locations be examined, its people will, nevertheless, reveal a transitional character, intermediate between those of its neighbors, because from these it has borrowed both ethnic stock and culture. Great Britain is an island, but its vicinal location groups it with the North Sea family of people. Even in historic times it has derived ancient Belgian stock, Roman, Anglo-Saxon, Danish and Scandinavian from the long semicircle of nearby continental lands which have likewise contributed so much to the civilization of the island. Similarly, Japan traces the sources of its population to the north of Asia by way of the island of Sakhalin, to the west through Korea, and to the Malay district of the south, whence the Kurosiwa has swept stragglers to the shores of Kyushu. Like England, Japan also has drawn its civilization from its neighbors, and then, under the isolating influence of its local environment, has individualized both race and culture. Here we have the interplay of the forces of natural and vicinal location. A people situated between two other peoples form an ethnic and cultural link between the two. The transitional type is as familiar in anthropogeography as in biology. The only exception is found in the young intrusion of a migrating or conquering people, like that of the Hungarians and Turks in southeastern Europe, and of the Bulgar Tuaregs and Foldies among the Negroes of western Sudan, or of a colonizing people like that of the Russians in Mongolian Siberia and of Europeans among the Aborigines of South Africa. Even in these instances race amalgamation tends to take place along the frontiers, as was the case in Latin America and as occurs today in Alaska and northern Canada, where the squaw man is no rarity. The assimilation of culture, at least in a superficial sense, may be yet more rapid, 
especially where hard climatic conditions force the interloper to imitate the life of the native, the industrial and commercial Hollander, when transplanted to the dry grasslands of South Africa, became pastoral like the native coffers. The French voyageur of Canada could scarcely be distinguished from the Indian trapper, occupation, food, dress, and spouse were the same. Only a lighter tint of skin distinguished the half-breed children of the Frenchmen, the settlers of the early Trans-Allegheny Commonwealths, at least for a generation or two, showed little outward difference in mode of life from that of the savage community among which they dwelt. The more alike the components of such a vicinal group of people, the easier, freer and more effective will be the mediating function of the central one. Germany has demonstrated this in her long history as intermediary between the nations of southeastern and western Europe. The people of Poland, occupying a portion of the Baltic slope of northern Europe, fended by no natural barriers from their eastern and western neighbors, long constituted a transition form between the two. Though affiliated with Russia in point of language, the Poles are occidental in their religion, and their head form resembles that of northern Germany rather than that of Russia. The country belongs to a Western Europe in the density of its population 74 to the square kilometer or 190 to the square mile, which is quadruple that of remaining European Russia, and also in its industrial and social development. The partition of Poland among the three neighboring powers was the final expression of its intermediate location and character. One part was joined politically to the Slav German western border of Russia, and another to the German Slav border of Germany while the portion that fell to the Austrian Empire simply extended the northern Slav area of that country found in Bohemia, Moravia, and the Slovak border of Hungary. Map page 223. If the intermediate people greatly differs in race or civilization from both neighbors, it exercises and receives slight influence. The Mongols of Central Asia, between China on one side and Persia and India on the other, have been poor vehicles for the exchange of culture between these two great districts. The Hungarians, located between the Romanians and Germans on the east and west, Slovaks and Croatians on the north and south, have helped little to reconcile race differences in the great empire of the Danube. The unifying effect of the scenal location is greatly enhanced if the neighboring people are grouped about an enclosed sea which affords an easy highway for communication. The integrating force of such a basin will often overcome the disintegrating force of race antagonisms. The Roman Empire in the Mediterranean was able to evolve an effective centralized government and to spread one culture over the neighboring shores. Despite great variety of nationality and language and every degree of cultural development, a certain similarity of natural conditions, climatic and otherwise, from the Iberian Peninsula to the borders of the Syrian desert, also aid in the process of amalgamation, where similarity of race already forms a basis for congeniality. Such circumthalassic groups display the highest degree of interactive influence. These contribute to a further blending of population and unification of culture, by which the whole circle of the enclosing lands tends to approach one standard of civilization. This was the history of the Baltic coast from the 13th to the 16th centuries, when the German Hansa distributed the material products of Europe's highest civilization from Russian Novgorod to Norway. The North Sea Group, first under the leadership of Holland, later under England's guidance, became a single community of advancing culture, which was a later reflection of the early community of race stretching from the Faroe and Shetland Islands to the Rhine and the Elbe. The same process has been going on for ages about the marginal basins of Eastern Asia, the Yellow and Japan Seas, community of race and culture stamps China, Korea and Japan, 
a general advance in civilization under the leadership of Japan, the England of the East, now inaugurates the elevation of the whole group. An even closer connection exists between adjoining peoples who are united by ties of blood and are further made economically dependent upon one another, because of a contrast in the physical conditions and, therefore, in the products of their respective territories. Numerous coast and inland tribes, pastoral and agricultural tribes are united because they are mutually necessary. In British Columbia and Alaska the fishing Indians of the seaboard long held a definite commercial relation to the hunting tribes of the interior selling them the products and wares of the coast, while monopolizing their market for the inland furs. Such was the position of the Ogallant's tribe of Lingots near the mouth of the Copper River in relation to the upstream Athapascans, of the Kynak tribe at the head of Cook's Inlet in relation to the inland Etnas, of the Chilkats of Chilkoot Inlet to the mountain Tinnas. Similarly, the hunting folk of the Kalahari Desert in South Africa attach themselves to influential tribesmen of the adjacent Betuana grasslands in order to exchange the skins of the desert animals for spears, knives, and tobacco. Fertile agricultural lands adjoining pastoral regions of deserts and steppes had in all times drawn to their border markets the mounted plainsmen, bringing the products of their herds to exchange for grain, and in all times the abundance of their green fields has tempted their ill-fed neighbors to conquest, so that the economic bond becomes a preliminary to a political bond and an ethnic amalgamation growing out of the strong vicinal location. The forest lands of Great Russia supplement the grain-bearing black lands of Little Russia, the two are united through geographical economic conditions, which would not permit an independent existence to the smaller, weaker section of the South, ever open to hostile invasion from Asia, leaving now the ethnic and economic ties which may strengthen the cohesive power of such vicinal grouping, and considering only its purely geographic aspects, we distinguish the following types, I central location, examples, the Magyars in the Danube Valley, the Iroquois Indians on the Mohawk River and the Finger Lakes, Russia from the 10th to the 18th century, Poland from 1000 to its final partition in 1795, Bolivia, Switzerland, and Afghanistan, II. Peripheral Location, Ancient Phoenicia, Greek Colonies in Asia Minor and Southern Italy, the R. 